Joe's podcast, soon to be the podcast heard around the world. This is a podcast to help us, along with you, get through a time without sports and help you smoothly transition back into a life with sports. We'll cover all things sports, but since we are New York bred, a lot of our focus will be on the New York sports teams. My name is Isaiah Taylor. My favorite teams are the New York Knicks, the New York Yankees, and the New York Football Giants. And my co-host... What's up, everybody? Uh, I'm Mike. My favorite teams are the New York Knicks, the New York Jets, and the New York Yankees. And my friends call me the biggest bro. <laughs> but I know, start. like Isaiah said, uh, it's a difficult time for everybody right now in the world. And we, people usually use sports as like a backbone to rely on. And right now we don't even have that as an option. Um, the only thing we really had is just news here and there about league starting and some UFC fights. And besides that, the only thing keeping everybody together is the Last Dance Michael Jordan documentary that comes out every Sunday on ESPN. Um, and personally, like I really enjoyed taking the time out of my week to sit down and watch those. Just for me, someone who didn't grow up watching Michael Jordan, um, hearing it from my dad all the time about how great Michael Jordan was, how he used to kill the Knicks. Um, just to take the time to learn about him as a player, him as a person. And for me, it really changed my opinion on the whole LeBron versus Jordan debate, just because I was able to see LeBron play his whole entire career so far and watch him grow as a player um, from Cleveland to Miami, now to the Lakers. Um, and for like, until I saw this documentary, honestly, like I truly believe that, that LeBron was a goat. Um, and to be honest with you, this documentary has really changed my mind just to see the inner workings of Jordan. And like, I remember like, this is how we used to look I, the same way that, Jordan shows that killer mentality is like what I always saw in Kobe, but I feel like Jordan takes that to another level. Um, but what are your thoughts on the documentary and what you've seen so far as Well, I'm, I think it's about time. It's about time that the youngins learn about Michael Jordan. I'm very glad that everyone is getting all this information now that young kids are able to tune in and see this player they've never seen before. And they've only heard fairy tales about. But now they're learning that these fairy tales are true. Michael Jordan is as great as everyone says he is, and everyone's learning about it now. And I'm happy for, I'm happy for the history of basketball, but I'm more happy uh, for me because um, now all my friends can join in on these debates when I'm talking about all these old guys and these guys who played around Michael Jordan's time when they only bring up the Kevin Durant and the LeBron James. But now they get a little insight on what um, the league was like back then. And I think, like, the really cool part about this documentary and, like, something we were talking about a little bit off pod, um, it's just, like, the idea of now everything that players do is always being seen by us, like, through Twitter, through their own social media, et cetera. Everything is publicized. And, like, a lot of the times with these older players, a lot of, like, who they were and the mystery behind them were so covered up just because of the lack of access to them, but also lack of access to information in general. And, like, having this camera crew behind the scenes to see Jordan, how he interacts, not only with, like, his teammates and with fans, um, but, like, also, like, just, like, security guards, equipment managers, stuff like that, just to see who he is as a person and what he's what he went through to become that great. Like, it really gives perspective that I think that a lot of this generation only saw of Jordan was on the court, you know what I'm saying? And this gives, like, a whole other layer to him because I feel like that's a lot of why we love sports is connecting with the person and their story along with what they do on the field. And I think this has really given us the opportunity. Um, and like Isaiah said, there's so many fairy tales surrounding Jordan. Um, and they, they're all coming to light in this documentary. 
So what is your favorite one so far that you've seen through the four, four or five weeks of this documentary? Uh, well, I like the the whole lore of Michael Jordan being such a competitor with everything and everything he does. Um, I really liked how uh, he was playing that game with those with those security guards about getting the quarter close to the wall and putting himself in deep positions for no reason and large sums of money uh, j- just to end up losing, but just for the thrill of the gambling. And I think I think that's a cool like he was a god to a lot of people and he still is the one of, he is the greatest player of all time in my opinion however um he's he's no god he is mortal he is human and he does have a lot of flaws that you can just see on his day-to-day activities no i agree i i think it's really cool just because like he it wasn't like i don't know it like he does he never wanted to lose in anything and i think that transition to what makes him so great um, whether, like you said, like flipping the quarters against the wall with the security guards or playing cards on the plane or anything, he never wanted to lose. And I think that's what made him so great. Um, personally, like the thing that I appreciated most from this documentary and like the fairy tales about Jordan are kind of just the way that he, when the challenge didn't seem big enough on the court, he found like exterior motivation to push himself and will himself to greatness. Um, and the one, the story that sticks with me the most is before they played the Sonics in the finals, he was with he saw George Carl in a restaurant, and George Carl didn't acknowledge him back, and he told who he was with. I think it was uh, the guy who was filming the documentary, Ahmad Rashad. Yeah, Ahmad Rashad, former NFL player, um, told him <laughs> like I'm I'm gonna light them on fire like this series basically, and then went out and did it. And, like, them. It's just crazy that the game was that easy to him that he just had to find little things like that to to push himself and to go further and be better. Um, yeah, so much so that he left the game at the top. Like, not a lot of, a lot of guys you see, you, we get to see a lot of guys fizzle out. We get to see a lot of guys do bad in the end of their careers and then leave. But he he just became so great. It, he, it's almost as if he lost interest at times and just had to leave. Right. And, like, the, uh, going off that point, um, he was talking about to the same guy about how like he was talking to Patrick Ewing about it, and Patrick Ewing said, "Like they're gonna have to carry me off the court." And then Michael Jordan was like, "Nah, I want to walk off the court." Um, yeah, that's crazy. But but speaking of Patrick Ewing, during this time, the the Knicks and the Bulls had a great rivalry. Um, even the Knicks knocking them off at one point during this Absolutely. a little run. Um, Without Michael Jordan, but all right, we'll get to that. <laughs> right, right, right. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. No, we'll get to that. they don't have to know that. That's but, fine. <laughs> um, transitioning to now as you like as you've said in the intro like we're both Knicks fans and to see watching this documentary is bittersweet because obviously like for older Knicks fans who saw these defeats that must sting a lot watching these games again and watching him kill the Knicks but like for us like for me I'm like like wow like I can't like I wish the Knicks were in that position again and like where they fall I would love to be back there like literally from that point to where they've fallen now so being like literally the laughing stock of the NBA and getting being the punchline of every joke, no matter what the subject is uh, regarding basketball, to see where they've come is kind of frustrating. But I mean, we're here to talk about like the Knicks right now and their future and where they think they're going. Um, so the, the, where we left them with the Knicks, uh, the season ended abruptly, of course. But they had just traded Marcus Morris. They're bringing Leon Rose to run the show. Um, they're looking at head coaching candidates. Uh, how do you feel about the Knicks right now where the season ends? And how do you want to see them move forward from here? I've My whole thing with the Knicks, like I'll never stop being a Knicks fan. And it's hard to take a lot of the criticism that me and you do get uh, from our peers and just from the media in general about Knicks fans. But 
the lack of direction with the New York Knicks has been my main point of concern. Like, if we had a plan and we were following it, I'd be fine. But with with the whole rise of Mello in the Knicks and bringing that team together with Amari and Tyson Chandler, that was great. But there was no there was no setup for the future after that. Once that fizzled out, there was no young players we had that we were grooming to to change the franchise and further the franchise and keep it going. I'm I'm excited for the young core we have now though. We've we've got a great young stars like Kevin Knox who showed off in his rookie year, but disappeared last year. But I think he'll find his way back. And we've got Mitchell Robinson who's a stud, who's a stud with with all the intangibles you could ask for in an NBA player. R.J. Barrett who showed us last year that he can play in this league at a high level. I mean, finishing ability is is top tier in the NBA. And and he's he's a scorer. Like, we know he's a scorer. So we have to build around that because he's obviously our best player. But I know, I know you're very, very, very intrigued by this Knicks and these Knicks and all the assets that they have now. So I'm curious to see what you have to say about them. You forgot to mention the best player the Knicks have ever seen. I don't... Oh, God. In Franklin Nilakina. I don't oh, think man, he'll be a... here for much longer. I but... don't think he will either. And wherever, <laughs> he goes, wherever he goes, I go. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, I mean, I, I, I agree with all the points you made. I think that... I think bringing in Leon Rose is an interesting decision just because of he, he's an agent, not really front office experience. And I'd like to see how that turns out. I think the, the first decision makes that will tell us what the next plan is, is where they go and head coach. Like, I personally want Kenny Atkinson to be the coach. Like, I understand he got fired in Brooklyn, but to see what he did with, in terms of building, like, the word that everyone throws around culture the last couple of years and getting a young team to the playoffs. Um, obviously, Katie and Kyrie want a winner. Uh, they want to win a championship, so maybe he's not the coach. But like similar to the Steve Kerr situation and Mark Jackson in Golden State, like you need you still need that coach to build up your young players. And if maybe if that man can't do the job, you bring in somebody else. But the Knicks can't even think about that right now. Um, the rumors are tied to Thibodeau. Like I, I, people have mixed reviews on Thibodeau if he's if his style of coaching still fits the NBA today. Um, his last stint in Minnesota it didn't go too well, especially with the Jimmy Butler situation and what that can mean for the Knicks, especially being in a, a large media market. But I don't know. I think that that will give us a lot of insight. So I think that a Kenny Atkinson is a perfect fit for the Knicks. Because I think that what happened last year was that we saw that we saw flashes from Mitchell Robinson, as usual. We saw flashes from R.J. Barrett. But I think what got lost was that we didn't get to see Kevin Knox re- come off his re- good rookie year and show us again. We saw flashes from Frank, but not enough consistent minutes to give to see what Frank really is, because we don't know because of the way they've handled his development. The Knicks decided last year not to go all in on playing the kids, which is what they should have done. If they didn't do it immediately when the season started, once Fizdale had them to 4-18, and 18, at that point they should let Mike Miller play the kids. Absolutely. And we're still seeing Portis 30 minutes a night, Randall 30 minutes a night, Alfred Payton 30 minutes a night. And I think that was a wasted year, really, because we still don't know. There's still so many questions around Frank, Knox. Even we have Brazdakis cooking in the G League, and we don't know what he can do against NBA competition because they never gave him a shot. And I think that's a mistake because 
when it, you can't stick in, stick in this rebuilding stage forever. You have to know who you can stick with and build around and who you can move on from. And I think so far, we don't know what Knox is yet. Like, I believe in Knox. I think he could be a great player. I think all the talent is there. I'm sure we, we've seen enough. We saw enough his rookie year to know that, it, I mean, he was scoring and going up against the best guy on every team every night because he was our right. best player. But I'm if we give him those minutes, I'm sh- he has all the talent in the world to be great. I think a lot of the Knicks' problems are are listening to the New York media. We are a big, we are the biggest city in the world, the most important, not the most important city, but one of the most famous cities in the world. And so we expect success a lot. And we push that on our sports teams a lot. And I think that was um, what this year produced was we had, they gave the team big expectations knowing that they did not have much to use. Like the, the front office was pushing the playoffs on this team. And this team was not was not even remotely ready for the playoffs, not even an, an eighth seed. So right. I think the problem with the Knicks is we have they have to stop listening to the media and just focus on the team, build the team correctly. And I hope Rose, I hope Rose can can do that and can focus on this team and wants the best for this team. Right, and I think that's why it's interesting with the whole like as we know letting go of Steve Mills and keeping Scott Perry now right for this next year and it's interesting because you bring in Scott Perry and Scott Perry's mantra was the whole build like you're in a small market and like I think the thing that the Knicks fail to realize is that while the media is the one pushing all these win-loss expectations and playoffs expectations the fans just want however long it takes to build a product that is stable not something that like you said like with Melo where when that star is gone the whole show collapses. Like, oh, will implode. Right. Build a winner from the ground up so you can sustain success. Like, no one's asking you to go to the finals next year. But if you can build a team where you know you're building around RJ and Mitch, whoever you draft this year, right? right. There's something to build around. Like, you watch them get better. You watch them grow into that that team that you want them to be. Um, and that's my fear. That's my main fear. Like, all these rumors swirling and everything is all you hear is the Knicks are star hunting. The Knicks are star hunting. What like what what is it going to do if you give up all your draft picks and all your assets for a Donovan Mitchell or a Devin Booker or a Joel Embiid? Nothing is you're going to bring them here. You're going to pay them all, most of your cap, and you're going to have no team to put around them. And it's going to be the same disaster all over again. Like that's why I, like people are even talking about trading up for Lamelo. Like I would love Lamelo Ball. Like and that's who I that's my dream. Like for this offseason, is that for them to land Lamelo yeah, Ball? The best pick. Huh. Right, but if it means giving up multiple first round picks for something that is still not a guarantee. You might like you. It's something that you shouldn't just automatically be like, okay, let's go, let's go do that. Because what if that you never the draft is never guaranteed? And I believe in Lamelo Ball, but you, well, how bad would it be, especially being the New York Knicks, to go trade two, three first round future first round picks for Lamelo Ball, and this kid turns into a bust? Like you can't. Like it's just things yeah, like that that the that, Knicks have to take into account. Thing. Oh, Marcel, Marcel, okay. No, yeah, it's just like things like that that the Knicks have to take into account because they 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 always rush to the quickest fix to fix a situation. And right now they're in a position where they don't even know what they have and they're going to rush into doing stuff and watch when they trade a Kevin Knox or a Frank Nilekina and they go off and they become a, a huge part of a winning team. The Knicks are going to get clowned because they trade that player away and because they can't develop that player. And I just don't want, I want to avoid a situation like that and just to maximize what they have in house because they have seven first round picks over the next couple of years and they have the assets to do something great here and just how they play their chips. But um, what were you getting to Isaiah? I was going to say that, that, that's the the most important thing is the personnel we choose. It's so easy to and it does look it does seem easy from the outside, but to be in that front office 
of a New York Knicks team, the amount of pressure put on you to succeed and quickly is immense. So I I do feel for those in that position, but I hope I hope that we are picking the correct personnel, which is why the Tibetho like the coaching choice is important. Absolutely. And I don't know if I, I do like Kenny Axon for building the young players up, but if that's what we're going to focus on, which brings me back to my original point is we just need a plan and we have yet to see that from the Knicks, but we're taking steps in the right direction. And I think personnel choice is the main key to success. And last thing on the Knicks personnel and Leon Rose, if you hear this, <laughs> if Alfred Payton or Julius Randle touch another basketball for the New York Knicks in the fourth oh, quarter of an NBA basketball oh, game. God. Especially Alfred Payton. Oh, my God. Bro, man has proven how, okay. nothing in the rest of the league. He's no, that's, my, that's, that's my last rant on the oh, Knicks for God. today. You didn't, bro. You have a kid. He drafted in the lottery. 20, this is what, two, three years ago, 21 years old. Bro, your seventh pick in the draft, eighth pick in the him. draft. Bro, yeah, playing Alfred Payton, who shot, who shot, what, 40 something from the field, exhale from the three. Accent. Relax on that. Oh my God. You're getting upset. The... When bro. Mike gets upset, he turns into a Rasta man. <laughs> bro, but that's ridiculous. Like, you have a player who's literally the, statistically the worst shooting guard in the NBA besides Ish Smith. And the one knock on Frank is that he doesn't shoot well, but you have this guy running the show the whole entire year. It doesn't make any sense, especially when you're playing Randall and Peyton next to R.J. Barrett, who's who's we hope he'll develop a better jump shot. But his main game is getting to the rim with no court spacing. It doesn't make any sense. No room to grow. Anyway, but while <laughs> me and Isaiah are both Knicks fans. As you heard before, we, we disagree slightly <laughs> when it comes to the National Football League. Yes, sir. Um, in the Meadowlands. And I'm the I'm a firm believer that the New York Jets are the best team in New York and will prove it this year. Uh, but better I, than the Buffalo Bills. Go ahead. Oh, oh man. In New Jersey, at least. Um, but I, Isaiah begs to differ. So we're going to – right now we're going to talk about what we've seen through the draft in the offseason so far, what we think about those moves, and then quickly look through the schedules to see uh, – it's going to be a painful experience, but yeah. we'll, look through, we'll look through the schedules real quick and see. We'll stay heavy on the draft, guys. <laughs> right. Uh, so, Isaiah, you like to kick it off with the Giants, then? Absolutely. With the fourth pick in the 2020 NFL Draft, the New York Giants selected Andrew Thomas out of Georgia, which I thought was a great pick. Now, a lot, a lot of young people I talk to really look for skill guys out of the draft and really only get excited for skill guys out of the draft, but... The Giants draft this year, I thought was great and made me very excited. Uh, also, when they took the tackle, Matt Pert from UConn in the third round um, and then went for defense, which was our main our, our main problem this season <laughs> on a lot of problems, on top of a lot of problems. Especially. But our main problem was de- defense. And it only got worse today with DeAndre Baker. <sighs> yes, it did. Uh, I don't want to talk about armed robbery. <laughs> Oh, my God. Anyway, continue. Oh God. With cross-division <laughs> opponent. Oh. Gun, um, gun <laughs> but, um, but, no, I'm, I'm really excited for this season with the Giants because, because we have all the tools on offense. I really do believe in Daniel Jones. I was, I was pretty upset when we picked him because I wanted the other kid from Duke, Josh Allen. But um, I'm glad we went with a quarterback. I still had faith in Eli Manning, but that was 
taken from me pretty quickly. But I'm I'm really excited about what Daniel Jones can do with these tremendous options on offense. I mean, Saquon Barkley, who's arguably the best back in the National Football League. Evan Ingram, who can put up the numbers of a top five tight end on any given night, any given Sunday. And um, the emergence of Darius Slayton, who's a great receiver. Uh, Golden Tate, who's been solid throughout his throughout most of his, most of his career, and uh, Sterling Shepard, a budding young star. I think Daniel Jones has a lot of options, and um, I'm really excited. Uh, but back to the draft. Um, when we took Xavier McKinney, I was very skeptical because um, I hadn't watched a lot of Bama and I hadn't watched a lot of him. But um, you know. They always do a great job when they make the highlight tapes of getting uh, (laughs) people excited. (laughs) They put in all the best plays. I haven't seen any of the blown coverages he's made, but but I'm very excited. Also with um, Darnay Holmes, they took a cornerback out of UCLA. And I saw one play where he got, they got beat by a running back and he chased him down with the speed of, only comparable to primetime Deion Sanders, but I'm not oh name dropping. But, oh <laughs> but it uh, did excite me very much, and I'm very excited for um, the Giants' new weapons that they picked up out of the draft. Uh, but the Jets also did draft. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, I think going into the draft, we knew that Joe Douglas, the new GM of the Jets, um, had a specific plan for the offseason, and his whole mantra was basically protect Sam Darnold. Um, but also open running lanes for Le'Veon Bell because having take, that takes so much pressure off Sam Darnold, especially opening to play action, and it'll be a huge weapon for their offense. So going to the draft, we knew that they were going to target offensive tackle, and if those offensive tackles that they ranked highly on their board were not there, they would look to wide receiver, maybe a Jerry Judy, maybe a Henry Ruggs, uh, maybe even a CeeDee Lamb. So on when they were on the clock, and as the tackles started coming off the board, I, I thought that the Jets might go receiver just because of the reports around Makai Becton at the time. Uh, he failed the drug test at the combine, and people were – so that he was flagged. Um, but otherwise, his like everything was clean with him through the draft process. So I thought that maybe – because Joe Douglas had been talking about how he wants good character guys, um, and that's been his whole thing this offseason. So I thought that maybe that was like a loophole. Because at, for me, like – like Isaiah said, like I, of course, the skill position is a flashy thing that everyone wants, especially with Robbie Anderson signing with Carolina. So I, it, like half of me wanted Jerry Judy, um, half of me wanted like a Ceedee Lamb just to get a, a weapon for Darnold on the outside. But they ended up going with Makai Becton, who's just a physical force, six foot seven, three forty five, ran just over a five on the on the forty yard dash, which That's is ridiculous. Um, and like it's kind of a boomer bust pick, but I think that. The Jets are in a position where they can go for that just because if they if this pick hits, you have your left tackle to protect your franchise quarterback for the next 10 years. And that's exactly what the Jets need, um, especially with solidifying their offensive line slowly over the offseason. They bring in McGovern, the center from Denver, who's a, definitely an upgraded center. Uh, George Fant from Seattle, who mixed reviews on him. Um, but I was at first skeptical just because I, of the playmaker idea. But as people used to continued to talk about Becton and the force he could be in the league. I was very happy with that pick just because of like what I said about opening room for Le'Veon Bell. Um, and then the second round came around and the Jets traded back. And I was, I was, I was tight because 
there was receivers on the board I wanted to take, and they traded back, and I was I was so frustrated because there was some like as everybody knows, this was a very deep receiver draft, and I thought that the Jets had a chance to get like a difference maker on the outside at that pick before they traded back. And then what do I know that when the, they come back to fifty nine, the pick that they trade to Seattle, and they still end up with Denzel Mims, um, Baylor. The the only real knock on him at Baylor was drops, but otherwise he has he's running what like a four three. Four four yeah four three eight at six foot three, uh, put him on the outside perfectly perfect replacement for Robbie Anderson. Um, they signed Bernard Perryman. Um, they have Crowder in the slot. Hopefully Herndon can stay healthy. That's questionable. We never know. But they needed that playmaker on the outside, and they went and got him. And then throughout the draft, they get Ashton Davis, uh, safety from Cal, who <laughs> like you said, like as I said, like they show you the great plays in their highlights. Oh my lord! Oh my god! There was a play. Where they're running one the you sent me 80 times. Go ahead. I'm saying, and I liked and retweeted 400 times, and I made separate Twitter accounts just for that tweet. Bro, the running, back, the running back is running the ball. All of a sudden, you see a flash across the screen, and just through a crowd, just cracks this guy. And I mean, I think it's kind of like more of an insurance policy for like either Marcus, Marcus May always being injured, or as, right. who knows what happens with the Jamal Adams situation, but also just a, a unique player that Greg Williams can utilize. Um, they draft a pass rusher out of Florida in the third round who could be it's a hit-or-miss kind of guy, but they they can risk that in the third round. Um, they draft another running back from Florida, LaMichael Piron, which I, it's kind of weird now that they brought in Frank Gore considering they used that draft pick on a running back, but we'll see how that works out. Um, and then they got this kid Cameron Clark from Charlotte whose highlight tape was literally him just like pancake blocking the entire Clemson defensive line, which was enough to sell me on that pick at that point. Um, And then they get in, in the sixth round, they get a punter, Brendan Mann from Texas A&M who like on the ESPN broadcast, uh, Todd McShay was basically saying like, this guy's going to be a pro bowler, which is cool. Like that's, that sounds like a great pick to me. Um, But I think one of the sneaky picks they made was they got Bryce Hall out of Virginia Hmm. Uh, he had an ankle uh, season-ending ankle injury early this year, but before that, he was a first-round talent. So, uh, hopefully, that pans out because that's the one weakness in their defense besides pass rush is corner. So, hopefully, that works out for them. So, I think it's safe to say that both New York teams definitely drafted well, and and specifically and most importantly, drafted to the need their needs, which is something that neither franchise has been doing for the last couple of years. Honestly, <laughs> for a while. Um, Not a lot of New York franchises have been doing, but. I digress. I mean, um, that, this is your second year with Adam Gase, right? It is, and hopefully, if he's bad, hopefully it's the last year with Adam Gase. Because, but when Darnold didn't play last year, the Jets were an embarrassment, and I it was rough. To watch. I, I I questioned some of his play calling, some of his his man ravens on the sideline, but I think that <laughs> I don't know people. It depends. People in the NFL talk highly of Gase, so you really never know. Yeah. But, I don't think he's a bad coach, um, but I'm I I brought up your coach because I'm very skeptical of um, my special teams coordinator uh, Joe Judge <laughs> running running the scene here for the New York Football Giants, and um, I just hope I just hope on the offensive end we can be um, super explosive because of all the weapons we have, but I know that the Giants are a historically great organization in the national football league. And so they do tend to not move well with the times, but um, people have speak, spoken highly of uh, Joe judge. And um, 
I'm just really excited for what this season has, especially with our um our free agency pickups and uh Blake Martinez and uh Kyler uh Fakro from two Green Bay linebackers who played great. And uh Mr. Bradbury, who Mike likes to talk about us overpaid. overpaid. All right, all right. He well, he is a little overpaid, but you can only catch a cornerback <laughs> in his prime for so long. So you have to give up the kind of money if you want. Fifteen million a year, to be exact. <laughs> oh my god! Stop pocket watching. I might. It might work out now, considering that Dun. Uh, what's his name? Oh my god. DeAndre Baker could be DeAndre facing DeAndre fifteen for life. <laughs> Oh man, but um. <laughs> All right. Since you want to get so confident, I'm here to shoot you down. Let's get to the, our schedules. I don't think either of us should be confident going Let's into get the to the. Oh, I'm not. I'm not. But you are riding high just now, and I'm ready to shoot you down, buddy. Oh man, you want to go first or me? Uh, let's just go week by week each other. All right. Um. So week one, the New York Jets travel to the cold and windy Buffalo. To face Josh Allen on the road. And going how week one went last year and their track record against Buffalo, I'm going to pencil that in as a, a nice week one loss for Adam Gase and company. Um, so 0-1 for the New York Jets. A little growing pains. I, I, as you know, I'm a big Josh Allen fan. Um, I'm scared for what he might do to your defense That's coming up. But um, especially at home. But my New York football Giants... Uh, stay home where it is also windy and cold and face the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, Ben Roethlisberger is coming back and he's old, but the Giants are still the Giants and the Steelers are the Pittsburgh Steelers. And um, I'm going to also chalk that up as a loss. (laughs) (laughs) So both teams start out 0-1. And And from there for the Jets, it doesn't get much easier. They come home, at least, and they face the NFC champion San Francisco 49ers. So the Jets will start off this season at a fantastic rate of 0-2. Well, my New York football Giants go into week two and travel to Chicago to play the Bears. Uh, Malicious defense, if I can uh, be nice with what I say about the defense. But I'm also going to have to give the Giants another loss in that game against the Chicago Bears. Oh, so, so for the first two weeks of the NFL season, there'll be no wins in New York. And if the Knicks are playing, they won't be winning any games either. So, and also, if you don't count a Buffalo like the rest of us. <laughs> well, the, Buffalo will have a win because they will have beat the New York Jets. We go to week three, and the Jets go to Indianapolis, um, which I don't know. I mean, I don't. Uh, that could, I think that's a, a 50-50 game, maybe, just because Phillip Rivers is turnover-prone, but the Colts' defense is pretty legit. Um, I'm going I'm to be generous to my New York Jets and say that they've put things together and they squeak out a win to go to one and two. Uh, I'm glad you could be so confident in your third <laughs> week because in my third week, we're home against the 49ers. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's a win. I'm going to give the wow. Giants a win on that one. Based on what? Based on the first two weeks of them growing, I think they'll be due for an explosive game. Down 0-2 at home in their second game at home. Um, San Francisco is very deadly on both sides of the ball. 
But I think I think we'll get a spurt of greatness out of Daniel Jones, and we'll have a shootout between him and the ultimate game manager, Jimmy Garoppolo. Oh my god! All right, so then let I'm me have my wins. So now to... we are tied still. This guy's just gonna match what I do, so the just so can't that's be true. better. That's not true. Uh, I'm losing every other game after this. But go ahead. Right. I'm gonna rip off the next uh, couple of weeks to speed up the process. Week four, they're at Denver. I mean, they're home for Denver, which I think could be a win. Um, I know that Denver retooled their offense, but I'm not too sold on Drew Lock yet. Um, and I think that the Jets can match up with them well. So I'll go two and two there. Then they're home again for Arizona. I don't think I think Arizona's improved. I think Isaiah Simmons is going to be a special player. Kyler Murray in year two is going to be is going to be great. But I, I do think the Jets at home against Arizona, traveling across the whole entire country to come face them, could be a win. Um, so I think I'm going to have the Jets at three and two. And then they go out west to the Los Angeles to face the Chargers. And nobody really knows what's going to be happening with the Chargers. Um, there was high expectations for them last year. They fell off a little bit, and now we don't know if it's going to be Tyrod or Jordan Herbert. Um, so based on that question mark over there. I'm going to take a win for the Jets, moving them to 4-2 and two after their 0-2 start. Um, all right. I'm not excited to rattle off my next couple of weeks. <laughs> but uh, the Giants go to face the Rams. And um, I don't even want to talk about that game. I'll just take that as a loss. <laughs> <laughs> and Aaron Donald will have 18 sacks. Um, then they face the Dallas Cowboys, um, which these games – are kind of gritty um and hopefully we're both at full rosters at that point um and i i think i'll give i think i'll give the giants the edge in that game too uh riding high off that win against the 49ers <laughs> i think God. i think they'll be able to take on the cowboys and then we play the washington redskins who are uh <clears throat> down in the secondary <clears throat> and uh as of the new york football Giants, <laughs> and if Dwayne haskins is starting um I, I, I just I feel bad for the kid because I liked him coming out of Ohio State, but he just hasn't shown me anything in the pros. And so I'll take that as a win for the Giants. Um, then the Giants play Philly in Philly. And so that'll be a loss as well. Um, and then they play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, this is a game I'm really excited for uh, because I do not have faith in Tom Brady without Bill Belichick. In the Brady versus Belichick argument, I'm on the side of Belichick. Um, and you guys have Joe Judge too, who has been Brady last couple of years. So true, true, true. Maybe, true, true, true. We do have an edge there, but um, I mean Bruce Arians is still a genius. Uh, however, I'll say that's a close game, and the Giants and Buccaneers always do have shootout games, but they don't have Jameis Winston anymore. So I think the amount of defensive points we would have in those games usually. Uh, will be very low, and I'll have to give the Buccaneers the edge there. They get the Giants three. And three. And oh, three and four. Oh, yeah, they're in four, the Buccaneers. All right. Well, all right. So I'm going to rip off the rest of their schedule real yeah, quick. Just to not dilly nor dally. Um, <laughs> so they play home at Buffalo. Usually with the division, I usually just split the divisional games because like, mm-hmm. there's really nowhere to know, and divisional games are always close. So I'm going to give them a win. Then they go to at they go at Kansas City week eight, which is a loss, um, which leaves them at five and three. They face New England at home on Monday Night Football, which we don't really know with New England, as I said. But I'm still going to split the divisional games because you don't really know. So I'm going to give them six and three. They travel down to Miami to face Tua. Eh, I mean, 
the Dolphins are much improved, and the Jets always find a way to lose those kind of games. So I'm not going to give them the benefit of the doubt this time. So that gives them six and four. And they have a bye, and then they face Miami again at home. I think if they lose that game, or regardless, they'll have seen film and have a, a, a bye week to prepare for the Dolphins, which should give them a great advantage. So I'll give them a win there, moving them to seven and four. Then they are home against the Raiders, who I'm not too confident in, which I'm going to give them a win, so eight and four. Then they go to Seattle and Russell Wilson, which is never an easy place to play, especially with a quarterback of that caliber. So I'm going to give them a loss to eight and five. Then they're at the Rams, which, as Isaiah said, is never fun. Um, and I don't want to think about the, the pressure that Aaron Donald's Aaron Donald will put on Sam Donald and could end, his could end his career in that game. So uh, eight and six. Uh, then they play the Browns at home. Um, and I think that the Jets the last year or two have been tired of being stepped on by the Browns. So I think this is the, t- the year that they hopefully finally put their foot down. Um, I, I hope. Uh, yeah, so they nine and six. And then they go at New England and I give them the win in the first one. So I'll give them a loss now, and not and they and finish the season nine and seven, and with the new playoff rules, could have them in that wild cards position maybe, and even with the division being so weak, um, now that Brady's gone, they could even be vying for that a game out of that uh, divisional race. So absolutely, um, I I do think the Bills are still too tough, but I digress, and I'll go into my next couple of games. Um, against the Redskins, who I think, uh, when we face again, will be handedly. I think <laughs> I think the Redskins early in the season will be a mess, but um, and I I don't see them doing any better for the next coming years. Um, then after that, we also face the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, I hate to say it, but I am I I don't know how you can't like the guy Carson Wentz. But hopefully his glass ankles break again. And Jalen Hurts is going to try and Jalen Hurts is going to try and run away from everyone, but can't. Um, and then we got another exciting game where the Giants go to face Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, he's obviously the first pick, so everyone's excited to see him. But um, with him shooting up in this draft, I'm really excited to see what he can do in this league and his learning curve for this league. He's one of the most confident kids I've ever seen coming out of college. Uh, then we play the Seahawks. Oh, that Bengals game is also a win for the Giants though. Uh, then we play the Seahawks, which is a loss against one of the most underrated quarterbacks of all time, but different conversation, different day. Uh, then we play the Arizona Cardinals, which will be a close game, but I think Kyler Murray will have it figured out by then. And, Oh, DeAndre Hopkins is too much, too much of a weapon for him. Um, then we play the Browns, which I think we'll beat because I think the Browns will fall apart <laughs> towards the end of the season, towards the middle of the season, and then be done at the end of the season. Then we play the Baltimore Ravens, who Jesus have bodies for days to throw at people. <laughs> their starters are so great, but... They have guys who come off the bench who literally just run and jump faster and higher than everyone. It's scary. Uh, and then we play the Dallas Cowboys at the end of the season, uh, which I think will also lose that game too. And I really didn't want to do this, Mike, but you forced me into reading off the schedule. <laughs> I think the New York Giants will end 5-11 and 11 on a rough season. But I, I think we'll learn a lot this season about the mental toughness of Daniel Jones for sure. Um, and I'm hoping for a better season than I predict. 
uh, however, very mediocre season for the New York Giants, and they'll be worse than the Jets. Hard to admit, but I'll say it. Uh, this segment went a lot better than planned. Um, <laughs> I mean, I I hope that the Jets can get to nine and seven because the Jets haven't made the playoffs in uh, eleven years now. So hopefully, this year is the year. Yeah. But I mean, that's a long way. That's a long way away right now. Um, football is a long way away, and it's still up in the air at this point. Um, but one thing that is closer maybe than we might expect is the return of the NBA. Um, just to quickly end on that topic, uh, there was a call with NBA players this week who said that their goal is to finish the season at any cost necessary, whatever it takes. Um, obviously, that being said, with the NBA having their best interests in mind and, and their health and the, the condition of their families as well, um, but the, the plan is for the NBA in two to four weeks to determine how to move forward. I've heard rumors about maybe playing, like having uh, two like conferences set up in different parts of the country, maybe like Las Vegas and Orlando, isolating everybody there, like hotels, uh, constant testing and stuff like that, just so they can finish the season. Um, maybe, maybe or maybe not letting teams in the bubble get a chance to make that playoff run. Like we don't know yet, depending on the timetable. Um, but I think it's just interesting that those conversations are being had and what that could mean for this season. So with that being said, how do you think that those circumstances could affect the final stretch of the season? And would it change your mind on the outcome of the season, depending on who wins and all these factors? Um, I'm sure whoever wins. And the NBA season, I think, is going to happen. And I, I think they have good ideas, but I think a lot of sports are really pushing for the seasons to happen. But who, whatever happens for the rest of the season, if it does continue, they will definitely have an asterisk next to their name. There will definitely be some kind some kind of discussion about, oh, the coronavirus ruined that season. Blah and blah should have win. So-and-so was having a great season and then it ruined it for them. But I think... I think we deserve an end to this season. I think the season was great. It's Le- LeBron James is ending the end of his career, and the Lakers have been – we're going on a, a fantastic run towards the before the season ended. And me as a LeBron fanatic, I was very excited to see what he could do with a weapon like Anthony Davis, especially in the playoffs where he always seems to turn it up. And I will never, I will never say LeBron James falls off until LeBron James – until LeBron James dies, he's he's never going to fall off. He just keeps proving us wrong year after year after year after year. We've never seen sustained greatness like this from any athlete in any sport. But um, I do I do fear for whoever may may win this NBA season and a championship if they can get to it, and the asterisk next to their name. I mean, that's interesting because I I kind of agree. And I know that there will definitely be those kind of talks. But people have talked about the flip side of that as well as like the whole idea of you persevered through this and still came out on top, which is another thing that like could. I mean, it's it's a different perspective. And I think it's definitely deserves some credit because to be able to take this time off, to not be have access to your like your regular weight training, the regular rituals, your regular schedule, all that. Like, it does throw a wrench into everything, and to still come out on top at the end of it says a lot about that team and the character of that team. Um, but I also think that the finishing this season is really important just because 
it, it has so much impact on the next couple of years, free agency, legacies, all those things. Um, imagine like you're a free agent, you sign with a team, and then the season just ends. Like basically, or you're a pending free agent. Like you don't know where that leaves you because you don't know what the landscape of the league looks like because you don't know who's going where or who's what based on what. Because in that case, people will probably stay stay put and try to win that championship the next year that they feel they deserve this year. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So we don't like that impacts free agency. It impacts the draft. It impacts everything. So I think that regardless of how it like how the quality of the product might look. As long as it's safe for the players and everyone involved, I think that this the NBA should finish the season just because leaving the book open like this is kind of unfair to all those. They've played at least they've played what 50, 60 games, almost yeah, seventy almost games, games over sixty games. Yeah, so you can't like it's a you have to finish. They've it come too far, game. right? So I think and a lot that, of people have spoken out. Like Shaquille O'Neal was saying that they should just scrap the season because of the asterisk put next to the name, but. I mean, no one knows the correct answer, nor do I think there is a correct answer. We've never seen this before uh, in sports or even in the world. We've never seen it in our world. I mean, like in this age we live in, we've never seen anything like this where it's put a stop on everything and anything we can do. And people are being forced to stay inside and, and not knowing what's to come the next day. All right. It, yeah, it's it's a crazy place that we're in in society right now, especially in the sports world. But, I mean, that's why we're here. And that's why you have the Shoeless Joe's pod, just to get you through these times. And when things come back to normal, so we can catch you up, uh, transition you back into normality and the sports world to come. Um, a smooth but, transition, a smooth transition. <laughs> a smooth transition. Um, but... Like, like we said, like, thank you for listening to this first episode of the podcast. Uh, we're going to keep bringing out content. We're going to update. We're going to be on a lot of platforms soon, hopefully. Um, we're going to get a social media running just so you can interact with us, uh, ask questions, that kind of stuff, just to get everything fired up. Um, but for now, you can find me on Instagram at DJ underscore smoothie and on Twitter at DJ smoothie 17. Um, where can I find you, Zay? Uh, you, can ha- you can follow me on Instagram at MacZaddyZay underscore 99 that's m-a-c-z-a-d-d-y-z-a-y underscore 99 and then my swear handle is um z-a-y-2-3-6-2-0 z-a-y zay right and so we're gonna try to get content out as much as possible and just everyone during this time just best wishes to everyone's family out there everyone just stay safe Um, stay safe be safe keep be smart (laughs) Don't run out. Don't go playing basketball with your friends. Just stay inside. Stay safe. (laughs) Don't try and draw too much contact until we know that everything's safe. But we hope you do keep listening. And we're here to bring you more content. Yeah. So everyone, just take care. Be safe. And we'll catch you all in a few episodes. Peace. Into cameras and tell me to come. So she didn't have a daughter, she didn't have a son. She said the lift doesn't work. Run up the stairs and come. And if you don't come, we cannot gonna know that's one. So I grab a bunch of rolls and that's